You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stebbings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 239 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stemmings and I am on my own this week in the PTUK studio because Matt, he's gone away on his hollies, well, holly bobs and we've let him, me and Nev, very kindly let uh, Matt have uh, a couple of weeks off. Um, but don't panic because he is uh, with us via the uh, realms of marvellous campsite Wi-Fi. So welcome onto the show, Matt Smith. Hello. Fancy seeing <laughs> Oh, and the signal went a bit there, but there we go. You're there, you're there. How are you, Matt? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, hanging on for dear life, frankly. Uh, it's, it's uh, As you say, it's campsite Wi-Fi, so goodness only knows what's going to Oh, blimey. <laughs> Isn't it typical? We've been talking about sort of 10 minutes before we started the show and Matt's, wi- Matt's Wi-Fi has kept the signal really good and the minute we want to talk to Matt everything just goes to pot but um, but how are things in the caravan of love? Uh, <laughs> the what now? <laughs> Sorry, it's an 80s song. Uh, yes, it's, it's an 80s song. Yeah, right. No, it's you know, it's it's uh, the it's mobile. It's Studio Two, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, it's it's uh, with the terrible Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's it, the weather's been amazing. It's a really nice place to be. Uh, an amazing campsite. Highly recommended if anybody wants to come to North North Norfolk. Then West Runton is the place to be. I tell you, because it Ooh. is spitting's different sort of distance away from Cromer, Sheringham, Holt. You know, it's uh, it's great. The trains, the local train station is literally at the end of the drive. Uh, so uh, we're going to head into Sheringham tomorrow and have a beer or two because nobody's got to drive, which is going to be awesome. The only problem is, though, Matt, that you have got a slight issue with um, a lack of 4G or 3G or 2G or any G signal. I haven't got any mobile phone signal at all. I think it's the first time since I bought my phone about two years ago where I have in the top left-hand corner the word no service. I I don't know what this means. (laughs) Next thing you know, you're going to be changing uh, networks again, Matt. To uh, oh, I don't know yeah, why. I can't see that happening. BT Mobile, anyway. But not forgetting our other awesome co-host of the show, who's joining us this week uh, from his stately manor. And uh, welcome onto the show, Neville Bounds. Yes, hello everybody. Uh, slight man flu today, but uh, I think we'll get through the show been a bit of a hectic week i've been mixing it with strange people so i've obviously picked up something so uh, oh dear. i'm trying, oh, trying dear. to soldier on nonetheless <laughs> i said the general public are a nightmare aren't they it doesn't pay to go anywhere near them if you could just all help it <laughs> oh I, I try and steer clear of the great unwashed wherever i can but uh no i think we should be all right plenty of <laughs> vitamin c and a bit of them should be fine. Any, any, uh, any flying this week, Nev, or have you been um, UK? Uh, no, but I was at the uh, Mercedes F1 factory yesterday in Brackley in Northamptonshire, and uh, that was great. We're doing some filming there, got some really good stuff. That was a great day out, and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. But uh, very hard work, humping all the gear around and what have you, but uh, no, it was good, uh, good stuff, but uh, quite tiring, I have to say. But, uh, yes, I bet, I bet. Yes. So we have, uh, we've got loads of stuff to go through in the show this week, loads of great news stories, and we've also got uh, a bit of uh, audio or video 
feedback actually from Ray Davis from uh, the Warbirds uh, air show that he went to last weekend. We've also got a NPE segment from Nev, and that's going to have Barbara in that. And uh, what else we got on coming up uh, later on segment wise? Refresh my memory. Oh. Uh, well, we, and uh, some um, reporting in from Mr. Ray Davis. Ah, yes, that's uh, it. From his hair show stuff, that's which it. was awesome. He's got some really nice stuff to show us as well. So looking forward to that. So we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. <laughs> Your fingers crossed, praying, you know, worshipping all gods. And if you're ready, Dev. Yes, as always. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story and this one is on the guardian.com the Porsche newspaper here in the UK. And uh, the headline, it's sad news because we have lost another airline uh, this week. And uh, it's one we actually featured on the show probably about two years ago when the uh, airline first started. And Cobalt Air uh, has ceased all operations. Uh, the Cypriot carrier uh, ceased all operations this week and uh, also asked travellers not to travel to airports. Um, it cancelled all its flights indefinitely and suspended operations, advising customers not to go to airports. Uh, Cobalt, which was based at Larnaca Airport in Cyprus, had operated since 2016. Flew to 23 destinations uh, in, uh, in the UK and out towards Cyprus, and the airline also operated flights uh, at Heathrow, Stansted, Gatwick and Manchester here in the UK. It cancelled all flights from 11.50pm on Wednesday night, and the airline said in a statement on its website. In a later statement quoted by the Cyprus Mail newspaper, Colbert said it had called in the administrators after failing to secure long-term funding. The collapse leaves thousands of customers either stranded abroad or with their future travel plans in tatters. It's great, uh, with great regret, they said, uh, that we must inform that uh, you that Cobalt Air will cease all operations as of midnight on 17th of October 2018 and enter into administration uh, process after two years and three months of operations, the statement read. It's a sad day for all employees and passengers of Cobalt Air. The company has been working relentlessly during the past months to secure long-term financing for the airline. The Cypriot Transport Minister, Vasilki Anastasdidou, well, I pronounced that one really badly there, pledged state support for those stranded in Cyprus or overseas and said telephone numbers will be announced to help passengers. Cobalt's demise comes after Danish budget carrier Primera Air collapsed early this month and the UK regional airline Flybe warned this week of mounting annual losses, blaming uh, weaker consumer demand and higher fuel prices. It's a, such a shame, I, will, I have to say, guys, you know, because this um, airline, when, when it started, was supposed to kind of replace the, uh, the, the actual country's national mm. flag carrier. I tell you what I don't understand about this because Cyprus is such a popular de destination, oh, yeah. particularly from people from the UK and from Germany. You would have thought that they could have filled every single one of those flights almost yeah. regardless of what they charged, right? So I don't understand why they've not been successful. Do you think possibly they hadn't pitched the price right, though? Do you think that's what it is? People are using other carriers because they're just too expensive. 
Yep, and obviously if they're not getting the load factor, then that's uh, a problem, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised because it's oh, such a popular destination. And um, yeah, I, I, I really don't know why they've uh, not managed to make it work. It's such yeah. a shame because obviously this is jobs as well as, um, you know, for people. Um, I think they had some representatives in the UK, obviously here, based here uh, for the airline. And obviously the people, pilots as well. Um, who are flying for the airline? I think they leased all their um, their aircraft. They had uh, an all Airbus fleet, uh, and they leased. But they did have some uh, kind of bits in play, ready to do a, a kind of long haul uh, using mm. the Airbus A330. Um, but obviously, I suppose. I mean, this 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 is one of the possible problems over over everybody having like lease uh, hire stuff though, because essentially it makes it very difficult to value the company, doesn't it? Because essentially they don't have any assets other than like the landing slots if you like they've got the airports because i know those can be quite valuable but if they haven't got you know if they don't physically own the airplanes it must be very difficult to to know what a company is worth if you like when it comes to turnover and, and things like that what do you reckon nev yeah and i think you with it with these routes um obviously people do a lot of research well, you hope they do a lot of research about how popular the route is going to be, how much money they're going to make on it, what their overheads are going to be. But, of course, you don't actually know what it's going to be until you start operating the route. And um, no. sometimes I think there's a lot of competition. Um, Philip Davis mentioned in the chat room uh, being undercut by TUI. And it's all about the price, really. We're, we're now got this big sort of thing about low-cost flying. And uh, if the price is too high, people will not go. And especially if they're taking a family of four or five, makes a massive difference, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, and if if there isn't the if there isn't the alternative there, then people won't, um, you know, look elsewhere f for it, will they? You know, for 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 a flight. But uh, you know, if you've if you've got some somebody going, you know, two planes going to the same place, and one is significantly cheaper than the other, then you know, unless you're in business class and you know you're not worried about the price of course you're going to go with a cheaper airline yeah it'll be interesting to see actually guys what will happen here in regards to obviously because like like we said cyprus is a ever popular destination it mm. is quite a popular destination especially for um, for uk people it'll be interesting to see what airlines will uh, possibly take up the slack uh, as mm. in lay more flights yeah. on to cyprus say easyjet or even possibly ryanair or you know one of the so other carriers so with with this um, being a uh, uh, obviously again, it's another airline that isn't based here in the UK. Um, do, what about those people who are already out there now that this airline has sort of ceased? Do they, do they have a similar sort of atoll type sort of thing that that we do here? Yeah, the protection in place. I think there was uh, something said online this week that uh, there was a couple of airlines that had uh, kind of taken up the. Um, the kind of help to, to fly people right. home. Uh, fly was, home. Yeah, yeah, there was also um, for people who had booked direct with the airline and not not without any protection, obviously by credit cards and stuff. There was yeah. I forget the airline now. There was one of the airlines. I'm sure it was a UK-based airline. It could possibly have been EasyJet or or another airline, Thomas Cook or one of those. But they had also um, offered incredibly cheap flights. To, right. uh, to people stuck in Cyprus to get them home, which is to get them home, is, is, yeah. is nice, you know. But um, yeah, interesting to see what will happen there. But uh, Nev, yeah. moving on, the next story is uh, one especially for you. Yeah, I think if I was going to put this in a category, I'd put this in a category called first world problems. Uh, it's on the <laughs> T 
Telegraph.co.uk. It says competition winners bumped after British Airways oversold once in a lifetime flight. A woman and her mother who won two business class flights to anywhere in the world missed out on a once in a lifetime chance to fly in luxury when British Airways oversold the flight and bumped the pair down to a lower grade cabin. Jessica Lowry, who was the competition, uh, who won the competition, sorry, run by Flight Centre last year, arrived at London Heathrow with her mother, Laura, for a flight to Singapore in Club World, but sensed something was wrong when they were unable to check in at an automated desk and had to join a queue at a man desk, manned desk. This is when we started to worry, said Jessica, who decided to use the prize to take her mother to Bali via Singapore for a two-week holiday. We overheard a woman telling a family that BA had oversold their flight to Oslo. And I thought, how can they oversell flights? Well, we eventually got to the front and the woman scanned our coupons, which we had been given at the desk. She called someone and was silent for what felt like 15 minutes. We could tell bad news was coming. The member of staff then told the mother and daughter that the flight had been oversold and that there was no uh, Club World seats available, so they had been downgraded to, shock horror, premium economy. Wow. Oh. I was just in disbelief, said <laughs> Jessica. Probably the one chance in our lives to fly in luxury, and we weren't able to because BA had oversold. We went from buzzing excitement to utter disappointment. Passengers in Club World experienced seats that convert into fully flat beds, as well as white company bedding, lavish three-course meals, and a, way, a range of complimentary drinks. I'm sure they wanted to hear this. Um, <laughs> Premium Economy, or World Traveller Plus, provides guests with wider seats and a little more legroom. Uh, the couple were later told at the gate by two airline staff that as they were guests of BA, they would be the first to be bumped and would not receive compensation. Passengers, uh, paying customers would have been offered cash or an alternative flight. We got on the plane and were sat directly behind Club World, which was a bit of a kick in the teeth. Being able to see <laughs> almost touch what we could have had, said Jessica. British Airways says that it simply provides flights to Flight Centre, which ran the competition, and it clearly states that, that in the terms and conditions that promotional travel is not guaranteed in the requested cabin. Well, there you go. Uh, yes, that, that is completely true. I do, I do get that. It's not exactly guaranteed, and it's a free, you know, it's essentially a free flight, however you dress it up. But again, it, you do worry about the PR department at BA sometimes, don't you? I mean, it's just, it's one gaff after another, isn't it? <laughs> well, the only thing I would say about that, and I, you know, I'm trying to just be sort of reasonably balanced here. A Club World ticket to Singapore is terribly expensive. And obviously the airline have to make the revenue that they can. Um, they could have handled this slightly better, though, possibly. Um, but premium economy to Singapore isn't a bad experience, I wouldn't have thought. Um, and they do overbook the flights because they have what is it, between 8 and 12% no-show very often. Um, so just occasionally, when everybody does get on at the same time, they have to shuffle people around or actually yeah. bump them off the flight altogether. Indeed. And you could argue, of course, it's better that they still got to go on their trip rather than um, being bumped off the plane completely, which could also <laughs> yeah. have happened, let's be honest. Yeah. I, I think if I think if the, in, in that situation, if they had been promised, you know, the, the, the to fly in that class, a prom like a guarantee, then you'd, yeah. you would be a little bit 
annoyed i think you know if you're promised something like that yeah. but um as, as i can understand says, why they're disappointed don't get me wrong you know i understand why they're disappointed but uh, as you say at the end of the day it was you know they were competition winners and the airline has still got to make a profit i suppose isn't it i guess yeah <laughs> yes. so while you're there matt you've got the next yes. story and uh it's uh yes it's a worrying part yeah. that we just mentioned earlier Indeed, yes. Uh, good luck, everyone. Here we go. So this is on the Coventry Live website, and the headline is Budget Airline Flyby Issues Worrying Profit Warnings Ahead of a £12 million loss, which is not the news we want to hear, is it really? Uh, and For us, I think, is Flyby flies out of Norwich, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah, it does fly yeah. out of there. And uh, South End. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So anyway, Budget Airline Flyby has issued a profit warning saying it expects to make a £12 million loss this year. That's a Ouch. really big number, isn't it? The group, which operates many flights out of Birmingham to locations such as Madrid, Amsterdam and Hamburg, said that it had been hit by a fall in consumer demand. The profit warning of a £12 million pre-tax loss for 2018-19 is still an improvement on the previous financial year when it posted a loss of £19.2 million. This includes an estimated £29 million uh, impact from weaker sterling fuel and carbon prices. In a statement to the Stock Exchange today, the airline said Flybe had seen good revenue performance in the first half set backdrop of increasingly adverse fuel and currency impacts. Recent trading, however, indicates a softening in the second half revenue outlook, and the board now expects the full year adjusted profit figure to be lower than market expectations. Uh, Flybe has reduced capacity this year to focus on popular routes, increasing revenue by uh, per seat by 6.8%, reducing capacity by 10%. The statements added that consumer demand in domestic and near-continent markets has weakened in recent weeks and the board now expects this to continue into the second half. This, together with higher fuel prices and weaker sterling, will impact the expected H2 profit performance. Chief Executive Christine Oh dear. Anyway, Christine says, uh, we have uh, made progress in driving our unit revenues across the summer, but we are now seeing a softening in the market. We are reviewing further capacity and cost-saving measures while continuing to focus on delivering our sustainable business improvement plan. Cost discipline is starting to have a positive impact, but we aim to do more in the coming months and remain confident our strategy will improve performance it is a worrying it doesn't sound like it's the end just yet certainly no but um you know i mean these are quite these are quite significant losses aren't they is it sort of 19 million pounds the year before 12 million pounds this year you know uh, it's uh, how long can they continue to sustain it yeah i think say flyby used to fly from norwich matt they don't um they don't fly from uh, norwich anymore um, they're operating bases mostly all around the UK, including Southend, um, Southampton, yeah. some of the bigger airports. It's in Glasgow. KLM, I'm thinking, obviously. Yeah, um, but I think they they did used to fly from from Norwich, and one of the reasons that I think yeah. they pulled out was because you know no one flew, you know, used them. The main reason being because yeah. they were so expensive. They were really expensive, yeah. uh, unfortunately, yeah. from from here. But then some of that may have been of course the they were incurring if you like because i know norwich is rather renowned for being a little bit expensive to use i've got an idea I mean. though, um, with regard to norwich what about somebody either klm or flyby or somebody 
running sort of five or six flights a day to Amsterdam Schiphol at a sensible yeah. price, not not the 200 quid or the 150 quid, but maybe 60 quid or 70 quid, something like that, because I'm sure that they would get the load factor by running a lot of flights because uh, obviously Schiphol is such a big hub. Uh, airport, well, our, our so friend at Norwich may be able to correct us on this, but I do vaguely recall that at one time. And, uh, you know, because it was Norwich International Airport and you basically, if you could fly from Norwich to any anywhere in the world, but it was literally via Schiphol. So you would go mm. from, you would fly from Norwich to ski you wanted. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those airlines as well. They use the, the Bombardier-8Q400. And um, I'm quite often in the afternoons. You can hear these um, flying because they they fly just just actually over where we live, Matt here, in the lovely yeah. town of Bungie. And um, you can't miss these dash eights because they do have a distinctive sound as they fly over. Even at Tony uh, S in the uh, chat yeah. room has been uh, come up with a helpful suggestion. How about building building some roads to Norwich? <laughs> <laughs> Again, an excellent suggestion. Uh, I mean, we do have one, maybe A11, and that is it. It's oh, how rude! Yeah. I remember when the A11 was single carriageway almost all the way, and that was really painful, wasn't it? That was, yeah. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. It is now. It is. It is now dualed all the way, of course. And I, I will say, uh, I used the NDR, the Northern Road. Uh, coming to Cromer um, when when we came up there, and that's rather sort of getting to places like Norwich Airport and and like North Norfolk and things because you can sort of bypass Norwich completely now. It's made it very civilized, <laughs> and that's dual dual carriageway virtually up to up to the other end of Norwich. It's brilliant. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the Traveller dot com dot au. <laughs> Uh, the transit, the headline, transatlantic flight route, most popular aircraft and airlines, including the Boeing 747. So there's been many reports, as we have had in the show, about the slow death of the 747. Qantas phasing out their uh, jumbo jets, and no American airline is still flying a passenger version of the largest jump, uh, Boeing aircraft. However, OAG's statistic suggests the jumbo jet is a mainstay of transatlantic travel for over 50 years. It will be gracing our skies for a few more years to come. A total of 4,667 transatlantic flights will use the model this winter, and up, uh, up from 4,534 last year. Uh, that's almost as uh, three times as many as the world record breaking uh, A380 Super Jumbo, which was launched to much fanfare in tw uh, 2007. Both aircraft, however, were criticised last month by a report by the International Council on Clean Transportation, which said that the use of large aircraft across the Atlantic led to BA being ranked bottom of 20 major airlines for fuel efficiency. Oh dear, Nev. Boeing rolled out the uh, first 747, as we know, because it was a birthday recently of the uh, Jumbo, on September the 30th, 1968, with the first commercial flight uh, on January the 21st, 1970. Uh, the giant aircraft ushered in a new era of long-haul travel, flying further and faster than most of its predecessors. It uh, also brought new levels of luxury to the sky, with premium passengers enjoying a bar and lounge in the upper deck uh, with some of the carriers. Qantas will retire the last of their six 747-400s by the end of 2020 as it increases its fleets of 787 Dreamliners to 14 that same year. 
The jet, uh, jumbo jet has been in the Qantas fleet in various forms since 1971. The humpback jet was the largest commercial aircraft to fly until the launch of the A380 in October 2007. The most popular models for services between Europe and North America are the A330, and uh, used by the likes of Turkish Airlines and Delta, American and Lufthansa. And the Boeing 777, which is preferred by BA, uh, which owns 58 of those. Uh, the 787 Dreamliner, favoured by Norwegian, uh, comes in at number three. So. We have a little sneaking in, a little top ten here. I'm not going to play the jingle because that's just far too much uh, pressing of buttons for me to do. But uh, so in the top ten we have, um, uh, well, in at number ten it's the 737. So this is the number of flights uh, in 2018. So these are kind of the, uh, which is the amount of flights that will fly in the winter this year. So uh, yeah, the 737, 1,297. You've got most of the Airbus uh, fleet, 318, 319, 321s, uh, 1,479. Most of the Airbus are in the top, or the bottom four, I should say. And then the Boeing kind of leading the way midway in sixth place with a 757, uh, 2,605, all the way up to the top. In top place, just for Captain Nick, the A330, uh, with 13,807 flights uh, for the winter this year. So it's uh, safe to say that the uh, the old uh, you know the 747 will be around for some more years to come. It's not uh, going anywhere soon. They are still making the um, the Dash eights, um, which are mostly used for cargo, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely one of those awesome workhorses, Nev. That uh, I think BA have really really used and uh, gotten a good kind of innings out of, wouldn't you say? They've done really well on those routes, and considering they were competing, obviously with the twin-engine aircraft, um, which would be less expensive to operate, you would have thought. Um, but BA hopefully paid for these planes many years ago, and with a bit of a adjustment in fuel prices and stuff like that, with them hedging it as they do. Um, I think that they'll they'll get good utilisation out of it. I think they're running them now until twenty twenty four. I think they said. Uh, is the final retirement of uh, BA 747 fleet. So, yeah, um, but, um, yes, all, all the big Boeing stuff is up in the uh, top five or six there, isn't it? Mm. So, Nev, the next uh, story, uh, while you're there, this one is for you. And, uh, Matt, you need to sit down and uh, listen to this. I think you'll like this story. Yes, I should read this in a sort of a calm fashion, really, shouldn't I? But um, it's on the clickorlando.com website. It says, Nervous Flyer, this airline will offer in-flight meditation. Are you one of these, those people who tightly grips the arms of the seat when your plane takes off, lands and hits any bumps in the sky? One airline understands the reality that flying can make people nervous. Virgin Australia announced it will be assisting anxious flyers by offering in-flight meditation and dedicated onboard assistance. The airline partnered with Smiling Mind, a non-profit that offers meditation programs created by psychologists and educators to provide travellers a tool to help with their anxiety and focus on their well-being. Virgin Australia is very focused on supporting the mental health of its passengers and team members, and there are very few of us who haven't been directly or indirectly impacted by anxiety, Virgin founder Sir Richard Branson said in a statement. 
Virgin Australia officials said that they hope to enable the reduction of stress and anxiety during air travel, so much so that they will begin implementing the new programme for staff outside flights. Integrating mindfulness info, sorry, into our everyday lives is just as important as eating well and exercising regularly. I'm so excited to see Virgin Australia deeply embedding mindfulness into the workplace and on board flights, Branson said. The airline announced that in addition to offering guided meditations early next year, passengers will be, be also able to have personalised communications with the airline staff in the lead up to their trip and face-to-face -face interactions whilst on board the plane to help combat travel-related anxiety before their journey. Dr. Adi Wooden, who's the CEO of Smiling Mind, said that the company would love to see every passenger use air travel to give their mind time to thrive. As little as a couple of minutes of meditation can improve our overall sense of calm and well-being during a flight, and what better time than in the air to meditate, she said. Airlines like United, JetBlue and American have recently begun implementing relaxation apps into their entertainment programming. Well, actually, um, I was going to sort of do something funny about that story, but in fact, it's actually quite a serious thing. And I think it's a great idea, isn't it? If it's going to help people. Matt, is this uh, something which would appeal to you? It's not something I've even thought about, to be honest. I think meditation is quite a good good thing. I could, you know, yeah. It, it work. I mean, it, it, apparently it does really work. Um, whether yeah. uh, Whether it would uh whether you'd whether you'd enjoy it matt i don't know perhaps you could try well i mean anything that's uh involves relaxation and chilling out uh on an airplane so you know somewhere where um you know yeah i i i i'm a great believer in saying never knock it until you've tried it that you know i've never tried it so uh i have no reason why it would not work i can't see any reason why it wouldn't work so uh yeah, good. Good luck to him. Yeah, next flight I'm on, I expect Virgin to be able Australia. to do exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be on a Virgin Australia flight then next, Matt, and book yeah. yourself some. Sounds some like sounds like a plan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, then, Matt, and uh, this one is for you. Yes, indeed. This is on the UKAviation.news website, and the headline is British Airways hosts student event to inspire future pilots the british airways has hosted an event for students aimed at inspiring the pilots of the future taking place last night at the airline's headquarters near heathrow the flying futures event saw 100 students have the opportunity to try out flying in the state-of-the-art full motion simulators used to train real pilots the students were joined by pilots from across the airline uh, including first officers rebecca panther and amy kirkham and they spoke to students about the flight training uh, that and what's involved and what it means to be a pilot they also set tasks for the students focusing on the vital skills not normally associated with the role such as teamwork and communication british airways director of flight operations captain al bridger said the whole team at british airways is passionate about demonstrating to young people that flying really is a wonderful career which is open to everyone Though events like this, uh, through events like this, we are aiming to inspire the pilots of tomorrow and with determination, they can succeed. Amy added that I, 
added, I love that through my role, I'm able to inspire girls and show them that they really can absolutely pursue a career in aviation. When I was growing up, I didn't see any female pilots in real life or in the media, but we know that visible role models are so important in changing the perception that is a man's world. It's most certainly a woman's too. Uh, they, the potential class of 2022 also got the experience, the experience life, uh, got to experience life in the cabins seats with a virtual reality experience. So one of the students at Uxbridge Cottage who attended the event said, I've always wanted to be a pilot, but didn't really know where to start as no one I know has ever flown a plane. It was amazing being able to speak to lots of female pilots at the event. They were all so helpful and gave me loads of advice. And you could tell that they all loved their job. I'm even more determined to make this my my dream a reality now. Well, that is a very nice positive story, yeah, isn't it? Nice. So it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? You go from one extreme to the other with BA, don't you? You go to what I can only call a sort of social media gaffes constantly, you know, with their handling of the public. And then they do events like this, which are exactly what they should be doing, you know, inspiring people, encouraging, um, you know, especially women to, to sort of take up a role that is, mm. let's be honest, regarded as a very male sort of role and, and it shouldn't be no that's the long and the short of it so i mean well well done to them for sort of uh, putting on events like this really actually one of the chat the people i work with um and at the moment you know where i work now he's um booked a special gift for his daughter's birthday tomorrow uh which is a trial flight at uh, at beckles where where i learned to fly and he's uh, he's not told her it's going to be a complete surprise for her tomorrow afternoon but um mm. he's so excited to uh, to be you know have, give or have the opportunity to to give his daughter this present uh, okay. for her birthday to be able to uh, you know to obviously fly and uh, yeah i can't wait to hear his feedback next week at work yeah, to I see bet. how she got on because mm. you know it's things like that which i think give uh, the youngsters now that kind of push to think oh wow this is awesome i'm going to you know possibly you know trying to be a pilot and become uh, become a pilot when, when i get older what do you think they've oh. yeah absolutely and um of course in the good old days when you used to have, be able to have the jump seat as well i did that a long time ago um not only did it help me cure my fear of flying but uh, inspired me to want to become a pilot which as you can see hasn't happened but um at least i thought about it anyway <laughs> well that's true <laughs> so the next story this is mine isn't it you're right there matt <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah fine oh. sorry busy the Just next the, story o ollie wooden leg was <laughs> uh, no it's it's i'm sorry the the one the uh hatches on the uh mum mum's just put the kettle on basically so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to oil my leg now. Don't mind me. Hashtag <laughs> yeah. awkward sounds. Anyway, yeah. moving on to the next yes. story, and this one is on <laughs> on the Economic Times. India Times. Com, and uh, it's good news for Boeing. Uh, Indigo uh, are eyeing up wide-bodied aircrafts um, from Airbus and Boeing to add to their fleet. So the Abu Dhabi-based Indian airline Indigo on Sunday said that it would uh, like to add wide-bodied aircraft to their fleet, and it's an aspiration for the airline. While it talks to manufacturers 
countries um, with ongoing talks as to when they're going to have these aircraft. But there is no firm timeline amid difficult market conditions in the Indian market. The budget airline uh, owned by Interglobe Aviation faces fierce competition in the very price sensitive Indian market where carriers are struggling to remain profitable despite filling 90% of their seats and rising demand. Uh, Indigo recently reported uh, steep uh, fall in quarterly profit due to higher fuel prices, again higher fuel prices, and continued pressure on yields reflecting price competition. Wide-bodied aircraft are an aspiration. We have talked to manufacturers and we are looking at A330neos and Boeing 787s, Chief Commercial Officer Willie Bultier said uh, in Abu Dhabi, declining to go into details. Indigo, India's biggest low-cost carrier by market share, announced direct flights starting Monday from two South Indian cities, uh, Kochi and Kozakode, to Abu Dhabi, the capital of the United Arab Emirates. Uh, in the Gulf, the airline has directed flights to Dubai and Sharjah in the UAE, as well as Doha and Muscat, which is in Oman. Uh, flights to Kuwait will be launched this week, uh, uh, to Saudi Arabia in November and Hong Kong in December. Builder said. In early 2019, Indigo plans to start flights to London with an A321, stopping at midpoint that is yet to be selected. Uh, he said other international destinations for launch include Kuala Lumpur and Phuket in Thailand in November. Indigo is working closely with Indian government to take advantage of opportunities under a bilateral agreement where travel rights will become available for additional markets, he said, adding that Indigo has applied for rights to Europe and Asia. He said they're confident of bilaterals being expanded further, he said. Indigo has a fleet of 192 aircraft, uh, and more than 400 aircraft on order. The first batch of A321neo aircraft with 222 seats will be delivered next month, he said. So it's definitely good news for Airbus and Boeing. I thought, well, definitely for Airbus anyway with uh, these 321neos. Mm, yeah, definitely. And um, this is um, this company have been doing a lot of stuff recently aren't they as well they're opening up new routes and this sort of thing um and uh clearly if they already have a, a fleet of 192 aircraft and more than 400 on order that is a <laughs> some incredible stats really if you think about it that's a fair uh, fair few aircraft to uh mm. in the backlog that i think airbus and um boeing already have in their yeah. uh build but uh yeah so moving on to the next story uh nev this one is yes, you. a bit of a surprise. It's on the Euro Weekly News. Um, What's going on there, Nev? Well, airline ditches summer routes from two UK airports to key holiday destinations in Spain. British Airways has announced it's dropping its summer-only routes from two UK airports to the Spanish holiday hotspots of the Costa del Sol and Mallorca. Uh, BA will terminate the route from Birmingham and Bristol airports at the end of October 2018 and will not re resume them in 2019. Carrier launched the services out of the two airports in summer 2017, marking the return to both airports after a 10-year break. They were there were four weekly departures from each of the airports to Malaga, Costa del Sol, and Palma. BA City Flyer General Manager Luke Hayhoe said, "We have decided not to resume flights from Birmingham and Bristol next summer due to the complexity." and cost of operating from airports where we have no 
crew bases. Uh, the airlines has said that it will resume, reimburse the full amount to all customers who have already brought tickets for these routes. Again, that's a surprise to me because I would have thought from both of those uh, UK airports, they could have um, got some good load factors um, to, to both of the, um, uh, the Spanish destinations they're talking about there. But um, yeah, clearly uh, up, up against a lot of competition with uh, Easy and Ryanair, I would have thought. Do, do you think some of it is because lots of people are uh, perhaps not going on holiday as much as they were um, or going abroad, should I say? They're still taking their holidays, but they're, you know, I mean, it's, it's a big buzzword, isn't it? The word of staycation. Mm. Uh, do you think that's possibly what it is? People are actually yeah. uh, opting to, you know, holiday at home rather than go abroad. Possibly. I think it is. I think, Nev, I, I think it's all basically down to price. You know, when people are looking up flights, a lot of people nowadays use the uh, the, the search engines like Skyscanner to research flights. I know because I use it. And, um, you know, when you look for a flight, say, to uh, the Costa del Sol or Mallorca, one of these destinations here, I wonder how far down the list uh, BA would come when you ran a search from any of the uh, UK airports. What do you think, Nev? Oh, well, I'm sure their prices were probably higher than the others, almost certainly. Um, and it does depend on whether, what they've got down route as well. You know, do they have a, a cruise base down there? Do they use their own staff for um, all the check-in and stuff, or do they subcontract that to somebody else? whole load of reasons why they would have pulled the route, but they've only tried it for just over a year, 18 months by the looks of it, and they've clearly... They've not but then also, I mean, flying in general has changed. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, people are not... Um, you know, people aren't sticking with an airline because they like BA like they used to. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it is literally a consumer market now. So everybody is basing their decision purely and simply on how much it's costing them to get from either Stansted or Heathrow or wherever it is they want to fly from. And that is the only decision they're making now is purely a financial one. So if you're not competitive in that same market, then you're never going to win in this day and age, are you? No. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. So, Matt? Wally there, and uh, your bandwidth is still good. We're still, we're okay. still, we're still receiving you loud and clear. Uh, what's uh, okay. the next story for you, Matt? Yeah, so the next uh, story, this is on the PRN, so it's the PRNewswire.com, uh, and the headline is Boeing Business Jets Delivers First BBJ Max Airplane. So this is good news. Uh, so Boeing Business Jets, BBJ, has delivered the first BBJ Max airline airplane to a customer, the company announced today that the National Business Aviation Conference and Exhibition, uh, the aircraft is scheduled to fly to an interior finishing centre. We are excited to begin delivering a longer range, a more capable version of the world's most popular business jetliner, said Greg Laxton, who is the head of Boeing Business Jets. There has been great market interest and anticipation for the BBJ Max and our valued customers will soon be able to see the new standard in business travel. Customers from around the world have placed orders for 20 BBJ Max aeroplanes, uh, most Training Limited announced in July it was purchasing a BBJ Max 7 at the Farnborough International Air Show to commence delivery 
Big Bo unveiled a new interior concept by award-winning aviation design firm SkyStyle. The concept, named Genesis by SkyStyle co-founders Matt Pardo and Lucas Colombo, represents the company's debut in BBJ Max design. Aviation designer's perspective, the BBJ Max Ealing, because there is so much more interior space to realise one's vision, said Max it's the max flow. Oh, mm. I do, do believe we may have lost Matt. Yes. Um, sorry, Matt. If you're still there, we've we've uh, seem to have lost you. He seems to have disappeared. Actually, while uh, Matt was talking about a story, uh, Nev, earlier on this week, I saw some uh, pictures of the um, interior of uh, the BBJ, this first, the Max one. Oh, yeah. Um, there's one of these which has been all kitted out inside, and it looks phenomenal inside, Nev. Mm. Honestly, you've, yep. you know, it, it is a whole other level of first-class flying. You know, you've got lounge areas, sitting room areas, um, there's like bar areas. There's a huge one of these has had a, sh a huge shower room and, and kind of wet room inside as well, yeah. all built uh, built inside. And um, one of the um, lounge areas has got uh, an enormous, must be at least fifty inch uh, flat screen um, up against the side of the fuselage, for, you know, which you can sit and watch from a rather large sofa as well. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of these, Nev. I did, yes. And the other thing, of course, that's appealing to the operator of this is that it's uh, capable of flying 7,000 nautical miles, which is going some, isn't it? And that means that they'll have great range, you know, especially across the North Atlantic and, and things like that. So, uh, no, absolutely superb. So, yeah. uh, I think, um, I think, I think they'll ever get the chance to go on one somehow, though. I, I know. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say, we uh, there was one of these at uh, the Dubai Air Show um, last year. Um, which I didn't get a chance to go on board because um, you had to sort of kind of pre-book a, a viewing roundy at the aircraft itself. But that was based on the Dreamliner. Um, so you can imagine how big that thing was inside mm. with all the lounges and stuff. But uh, perhaps, Nev, you never know. We might get out to Dubai next year. Be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that definitely would ah, forward. You're back. Oh. Hello. Yes, yes. Hello, Matt. How are you? <laughs> yes, very good. Sorry, I lost my internet connection there. It has been we, we've we've been sort of chancing our arm for a significant period of time. So I'm just yes, I'm here for the moment anyway. Oh, brilliant! I'm glad you're back, Matt. Moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the Forbes.com website. And uh, this uh, story is, the headline is, with the first A380 on the scrap heap after just 11 years, uh, Airbus' bad bet now is painfully obvious. So it's obviously regarding the uh, the A380. So it says here, the story goes, bigger isn't always better. An Airbus's giant A380 double-decker aircraft capable of flying 8,000 nautical miles with 555 passengers in a conventional three-class uh, configuration or whopping 853 in an all one class figuration is almost too bizarre to contemplate its 277 ton primary example of that maxim next week will mark the 11th anniversary of the a380 celebrated entry into commercial service but there have been only 230 of them delivered into airline service in all that time and only uh, it only has orders on the books for another 100 or so of the aircraft that compares quite poorly to the 875 such aircraft that Airbus officials in the early 2000s were predicting they'd sell by the end of 2019. 
Now the news is getting worse. The first four A380s delivered to airlines have already been retired. Uh, the first two of them, including the very first one to uh, to fly with Singapore being parked at a remote airport in the Pyrenees Mountains, and that's being uh, stripped of parts and engines so they can be sold on for spares. The estimated $40 million to $80 million that the parts uh, and metal from 1A380 will bring pales in comparison to the $250 million uh, price that Singapore Airlines repeatedly paid for the first A380 and the $445 million of a new Airbus A380 today. $445 million for an A380, wow. Uh, to be sure, A380s will continue to serve and be seen at major airports around the world for at least another decade. But after just 11 years in service, the A380 program is already on the downhill slide towards its eventual unsuccessful end. Short of a miracle and comeback, the A380 will go down in aviation history as the victim of its own size and of Airbus's leadership's stubbornly mistaken belief that the market would favour fewer flights on enormous aircraft over higher frequency services using mid-sized planes on long-haul routes between the world's most popular or most populated cities. Eleven years from delivery to being sold for parts is by any definition a very short lifespan indeed for a commercial aircraft. Most operate in customer service for more than 20 years, albeit oftentimes or two or three airlines uh, during its life, but still performing as well, um, even after being sold to uh, first world carriers to sell off. Um, it's safe to say, I think, you know, the, the 380 is, it, it's, um, it's a popular aircraft with the, um, obviously the Middle East airlines like Emirates, Etihad, uh, use these uh, flying into the UK um, and I have seen a report online this week that uh, Emirates they've got uh, another two of their aircraft being fitted out at the moment brand new A380s uh, in Toulouse uh, ready for, uh, you know, for to be flown over to uh, to Dubai but um, yeah it's you know we, we talk about this aircraft quite a lot on the show and we read similar stories that say that the the 380 is has kind of um, hit its peak and is now dropping down but what do you reckon nev you know you've have you you haven't yet had a chance to fly on a 380 have you no i haven't um and um i think that with when you're designing aircraft like this which is so different from anything else you know apart from the 747 probably it's all about timing isn't it and trying to work out what the market requires and bearing in mind you know boeing when they built the 747 I mean, it almost bankrupt the company um for many different reasons i mean different ones for you know the reasons that uh, perhaps the airbus a380 isn't you know quite as popular as it was but um these things have a habit of you know ebbing and flowing don't they so you never quite know what uh, what's going to happen but um certainly with the popularity of the 787 and the a350 um i'm just wondering whether the the market for the a380 isn't quite what people were expecting i mean it's very popular with um emirates isn't it i mean emirates they they love their a380s don't they mm. oh yeah yeah it's it is incredibly you know big part of the emirates fleet i mean they have the the largest fleet in the world of mm. uh, of the 380s as we all know and yeah. um you know that flies frequently into uh into heathrow and gatwick you know and yeah. quite a few flights a, a week and all across the globe and they use 
you know they use it to its maximum capacity and, and every time yeah. i've flown on that aircraft every time i've flown on that aircraft it's been packed every yeah. seat has been sold so yeah absolutely yeah it's it's it's, it's crazy isn't it really i mean you, you you sort of i don't know it just it's a lovely aircraft i mean it, it was stunning the one that was parked up at farnborough when we were there it was mind-blowing i mean i've never seen you i mean you know it's all physics but how on earth does this thing fly <laughs> you know it, it's it's stunning as you know a, it's just as, a, as of... a passenger you know having flown on the 380 a few times now as a passenger is it's really comfortable matt you know there's loads of room uh the way the uh, the fuselage um bows out at each side you know, you've got tons of room even in economy with the way that emirates have them set out and Qantas as well uh inside and they're quiet and they are actually quite quiet inside. To be fair, they um they obviously yeah. use a use a good grade of um, soundproofing in their uh, fuselages as Airbus. But uh, yeah. ho hopefully, Matt, you'll get a chance to uh, to fly on one of the three eighties <laughs> sometime. Yeah, right. Save up, <laughs> save up those pennies, Matt. Save up those pennies. So, Nev, <laughs> moving on to the next story, and uh, it's another Airbus story for you. Yeah, it's on the Economic Times website, and it says that in New Delhi, a four of Goairs. Airbus A320neo aircraft fitted with Pratt & Whitney engines remain grounded in Delhi for want of spares from the American aerospace manufacturer. Some person aware of the matter. Um, now, I thought that... Um, oh, I see, it's talking about the engines, right. OK, I thought it was going to say that Airbus was an American aerospace manufacturer. Right? Um, but another of the Mumbai-based airlines aircraft has pulled out of operations into an airframe related issue said the person who did not wish to be identified a query emailed to go air did not elicit any response until late evening on monday pratt and whitney refused to comment on the matter indigo another domestic airline which operates a fleet of airbus a320 neos fitted with pratt and whitney engines has just one aircraft which is not operational but will start flying by monday evening or tuesday um, uh, Air India and Vistara also operate Airbus A320neos but with CFM engines and they haven't faced any issues with the aircraft. Engine carriers operate one of the largest fleet of Airbus A320neos fitted with Pratt & Whitney engines with a total of 74 such aircraft. Indigo which started operating a large fleet of these aircraft in April of last year has faced most problems with the Pratt & Whitney engines so far. Following frequent failures on Airbus A320neo aircraft fitted with PNW engines, Indians, uh, India's aviation regulator has imposed frequent checks on these aircraft, including inspections of engines after every 1,000 hours instead of every 1,500 hours, as sought by Pratt & Whitney, and repeat inspection every 500 hours. The stringent directive still remains in force. Other airlines are suffering too since the grounded aircraft at busy airports at Delhi and Mumbai take away parking space. Parking space at these big airports is anyway difficult to get. With these groundings, premium parking space at these airports is gone. Someone should find a solution to this problem too. An executive of a competing airline said on condition of anonymity. So there's no... Uh, no sources to this story whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, en engine uh, issues. Yeah, that can be, well, showstoppers, can't it, really? Literally. <laughs> Literally, for, for especially for BA and uh, Virgin here in the UK, as we've seen yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with the Dreamliners parked up everywhere. 
Matt, you're having a bit of a mare with your bandwidth, I think, aren't you? So, uh, I am. Yeah. So we're um, we're gonna yes. we're gonna bid a fond farewell to uh, Monsieur Smith as he is. Uh, he's just not just not having fun here, are you? With the yeah, his his hands gone all blurry, Nev. <laughs> yes, Matt. Hello. Now his hand no. has gone a complete blur. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right, Matt. We're going to say back thanks to <laughs> thanks for joining us, Matt. We uh, we shall muddle on here. I'm sure I'll press the wrong uh, right buttons uh, and stuff. But uh, yeah. just give everyone give everyone a quick wave before we go, Matt. There we go. Bye. Oh, I'll, there he is. I'll, hopefully, I'll get it sorted <laughs> for next week. See you later. Take care, Matt. Bye. 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 <laughs> well, he did try. He did try. Nev. Yeah. To be yeah. fair, he yeah. did try. Bless him. And he is on a campsite in the middle of nowhere. And as you know, we live in the middle of nowhere here. Yeah, anyway, so that, that's even more in the middle of nowhere, if that's possible. In so, the middle of yeah. nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, going back to that story, though, Nev, yeah, it's it's um, it's a shame that uh, there are so many issues with various engines around the world at the moment with uh, with the aircraft. Do you think, Nev, that technology is moving uh, faster than, you know, the, the, the mechanics well, can keep up? Possibly, but, of course, it's all about safety, really, isn't it? And... Uh, just like the uh, Trent 1000s on the uh, Boeing 787 Dreamliner, when you're introducing new technology engines, there's always going to be some teething difficulties. But, of course, there's then the commercial pressures from the airline to get the thing in the air because, obviously, they've made these massive investments and massive commitments to the aircraft. So it'll all be sorted out because it always is. But when there's a brand-new engine introduced, there are frequent uh, difficulties aren't there so um yeah. yeah i'm sure they'll get them sorted out there so the next story moving on to the last story and um kind of a bit of a tech story really i think you should have took this now but i'm sure you've got some good comments to make on it uh this one is uh heathrow's facial recognition tech could make airports more bearable so uh, the headline or the story goes on. It's uh, it'll soon be quicker to move through airports. Heathrow is rolling out a facial recognition system to let passengers check in and drop off bags and get through security and board planes. Passports and boarding cards won't have to be removed from your pocket. Uh, the proposed system is similar to facial recognition systems already used at airport border controls, where a camera compares your face to the photo stored on the passport's embedded chip, like those automated gates. Uh, this will also be optional. When a passenger shows up at check-in, the system will take a digital image of their face, comparing it to the one on their scanned passport, and trying to uh, try, uh, tying it to their flight details. Uh, when it's time to go through security and later to board the aircraft, facial recognition is used to open the automated gates rather than showing a boarding pass to a guard or scanning a barcode. Uh, we're really trying, they say, to remove the constant need to show your passport or boarding card through the journey, Simon Wilcox, Program Manager for Automation at Heathrow, says. Heathrow has already been trialling the new technology this summer and says it's now ready for a wider rollout. Airport bosses say it plans to choose suppliers and link up various systems over the next several months in order to have the biometric system in place for summer 2019. The London airport isn't the first airport to turn to facial recognition. Shanghai's or Shanghai's uh, Hongai rolled out a similar uh, check-in system this week, and the U.S. is already uh, being or trialling at some of their airports. While the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA, wants to extend it to domestic flights as well. 
As one of the busiest airports in the world, Heathrow is obsessed with efficiency and staff say facial recognition will slash the time it takes to get through the airport by a third. However, this doesn't mean you'll be able to walk straight onto your flight. Facial recognition won't be significantly faster than scanning a pass to uh, open automated gates at the bottleneck when finally boarding is created. Uh, by passengers that take time to obviously put their bags and overhead lockers and settle into their seats. Longer term, the goal is for passengers to be able to walk straight through the airport without stopping. Uh, not breaking your stride is absolutely what we aspire to do, Wilcox says. The facial recognition tech is about reducing friction in the passenger journey and to cut the amount of time needed to spend with tasks such as security check-in. Another way of putting it is uh, by not adding unnecessary delays and processes and trying to get you through as quickly and securely as possible. What do you think of this, Nev, as... Uh, kind of our, our tech guru on the show tonight um you know bit, bit skeptical um well let's have a think about the uh, e-passport stuff for a starter shall we i mean my passport works two out of six times usually uh, the facial recognition that they use at heathrow when i'm going through to uh, the, on the domestic sectors you know heathrow to edinburgh that kind of thing and belfast mm works half the time for me um i don't know there's always going to be teething problems again with this sort of technology and it's been trialed in, in various places but i still think and i think the biggest thing they're trying to do let's be honest they're trying to speed up the process and we're all in favor of that but if there's unreliability going through the systems and the gates aren't opening then that just will cause an even longer queue so um i well i i hope to be pleasantly um, pleased and surprised by this but I have a feeling that there's going to be some uh, um, slowness to begin with of this. I've got to say Nev right when you look at um, you're probably the same as me when you look at your passport that uh, you know that you've you've had like mine you've probably had for, for mm. a few years and if the uh, the cameras are using the the picture that's stored on the chip which is obviously the picture which is on the passport you know I, I look Similarish to the passport photo that I've got in, you know, actually on there. Um, you know, is it going to be the tech going to be there good enough to kind of differentiate between what you look like now and what you look like? I don't know, seven or eight years ago when you had a beard and four foot moustache um, and you know and all that sort of stuff. Hmm. Let alone people <laughs> that don't show their faces. Yes. Just saying that. Yeah. But I'm wondering how that's yeah, being yeah, done. Yeah, very true, very true. So, yeah, I think it's lots of um, lots of work to go on there. I remember when I uh, was at an exhibition, um, how many years ago was that? About five years ago, one of our suppliers was doing uh, some tests of facial recognition, and they said, oh, would you like to give it a go? And, and what they did was that the software estimated your age and gender, which was, I thought, was great, um, except it identified me as a 35-year-old female. So that's obviously a bit, a bit difficult. Actually, Captain Al says in the chat room that uh, just look at Face ID on Apple, 80% success. Is this, right? Is this right, Nev? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, not that good, actually. Um, but, uh, oh. yeah, it's, um, oh, the other thing that's a bit weird as well, um, this same company, actually, that uh, was doing this facial recognition thing, uh, I visited their offices in um, West London, uh, last year, I think it was, and they've got facial recognition to go into the various rooms, obviously, which sounds like a great idea, except 
you have to look at it really closely. So you have this very sort of weird situation where you end up sort of staring at this panel on the wall, <laughs> like you're in the naughty corner or something. And I'm thinking, oh, it's just, you know, there's things that aren't right here. Um, but we will see. They've got to do something, haven't they? Because those cues at security and so on are getting worse. So um, Actually, Mike has, Mike has just said in the chat room, hello, Micah, facial recognition is a massive invasion of privacy that cannot ever be given back nor taken away. I'm surprised it's even legal in Europe based on the privacy laws. Mm. Yeah, I see what you're saying, Micah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, I would imagine they've thought about all this kind of thing and, and as to how people would react to um, to using this technology. Like I said, it's been trialled in, in Heathrow this year. Um, and I know quite a few. I think most um, passport control uh, places around the world now never have the camera setups at the at the booths where, the, you, know, where mm, you, go and, you go through. Yep. Yeah. So that yes. brings the commercial segment to a close. Uh, Nev, what is coming up next? It's a little something special from you, isn't it, uh, an MPE? It is, yes. Um, well, you've seen all the videos we've done at Farmer this year, and thank you to everybody that took part. Just as we were packing up, though, uh, there was an opportunity to have a chat with our listener friend, Barbara. Uh, about her passenger experience and um, we had a chat in the press room there and uh, it was all about her passenger experience on Jet 2. So let's have a listen and a watch of that. So here we are at uh, Farnborough 2018. What a great day it's been uh, so far. Weather looks set fair again. And uh, with me is Barbara Parrish, and we're going to talk about one of her passenger experiences. So hello, Barbara. Hello. Hello, Nev. So tell me about the last flight that you took. Well, the la last flight I took was um, with Jet2 to Prague. The flight was very, very good. I have to say that I was very impressed with all the, all the Jet2 staff. Yeah, I, if, if I just start with a check-in, a story with a check-in, it was quite eventful really, and just goes to show how helpful they were. Um, my mother and I wanted to take some presents to Prague, and we thought, well, what can we take? Well, something traditionally British, that, food. So we bought uh, lots of clotted cream pots, scones, uh, a Melton Mowbray pot pie and Stilton cheese and we knew we could take the food to Prague and uh, unfortunately somehow all the security rules slipped our minds regarding all the clotted cream and the food. When we got to the airport we checked in our luggage uh, we were going to take one hold-up bag so we put, went to the check-in desk, very helpful, suitcase went through then we went to security and my mum noticed a sign saying no spreadables. Now all the clotted cream, all the food had been put into our hand luggage. So massive panic, massive panic. So we, we were led to the Jet 2 desk and you know they were fantastic. They said don't worry we'll get your bag out of the back and we'll swap it all over for you. They got the bag, they got the suitcase and it, it really did, did look very uh, ridiculous taking all the clothes out, putting all the food back in. It, we couldn't even take the Melton Mowbray pie. Uh, that was a security hazard. So they were fantastic. 
we then I lost the lock, so she gave me a tie. So we kept apologising, but it was brilliant. So yeah, and then the flight was fantastic. Cabin crew, very smiley, very helpful. Um, I decided to have the full jet to experience and have food because usually I won't eat the food. I just I can make do without it for two hours. So I had the cheese and tomato toasty, which was fine. It filled a hole. And a roll, uh, water. Mum had a coffee. She, she said that was fine. Um, I thought that the loos were slightly smaller than usual. Um, and perhaps the seats could have had more padding. And I think there was a lot more people jammed into this plane than I remember. So, yeah, it was fantastic. And actually, what was lovely was that the captain made an announcement as we were passing Rotterdam. He said, if you have a look now out the plane, out the window, you will see Rotterdam, which is very rare these days for a captain to make that kind of announcement. So that was lovely. Um, yeah, so food was fine. And also, I I decided to have, as I said, the whole jet to experience. So I bought a scratch card. That was the first time I've ever bought a scratch card. Didn't win a bean, but that was fine. And then, at the end of the flight, I decided to make Carlos proud. I'd go to the cockpit, say hello. So I did. I uh, introduced myself and told him about Plane Talking UK podcast, airline pilot guy. And uh, I think Captain, it was Captain Richard and First Officer Jordan. And I asked them what plane would they love to fly? If they could fly any plane, what would it be? You know, past or present? And Captain Richard said this he said, the de Havilland Mosquito FB6, which is a uh, fighter bomber. Uh, made in the 1940s and then first officer Jordan said the, Sop the Sopworth Camel uh, the British First World War biplane and I said why and he said I just love the name so I'd love to fly it and coming back I did the same and uh, Captain Ron said he'd love to fly a Spitfire and first officer Cav said he'd like to fly a McDonnell Douglas DC-10 uh, three engine wide body jetliner so uh, yeah, I, was, I made I made Carlos proud. There you go. Flying Jet Two is value for money, and I couldn't fault them. You know, if you fly for very little money, um, you can't expect um, everything to be absolutely perfect, absolutely right. And coming back from Prague, we were delayed by about 20 minutes because the refueling truck was nowhere to be seen. For, so um, that was all. A, a, quite a problem but the captain kept us informed and he apologized and he actually said to us I will get you back home five minutes earlier there was an incident also on the plane with uh, somebody who had a nut allergy and I think sometimes um, you, you can people can joke about jet too but the airline I think is fantastic but sometimes the people that fly on the plane are the ones who can cause the problem and we had loads and loads of uh, male groups flying back from Prague, stag doos or whatever. Some were, well, they weren't very drunk, but you could tell they'd been drinking. And when we got on board, they made the announcement that they weren't selling any food with nuts in, and we were not to eat any food with nuts in because there was somebody on board with a nut allergy. So 
we took off flying, started the food service. And as the trolley got to me, I noticed that the, uh, the cabin crew lady, she looked at a, a young man who was sat next to me, just one row back, eating a whole box of Ferrero Rocher. And um, she said, you can't eat that. And he looked at her, dumbfounded. I obviously hadn't heard the announcement. And he made a, a little bit of an issue with it, with all his mates. His mates joined in, they were laughing at her. And she explained, look, we have somebody with a nut allergy. And he said, well, in that case, can I have a free tea and a free chocolate from your trolley, please? And she said, no. So um, she dealt with it so well. Um, but, you know, these are the people that you're dealing with. And uh, you can't blame the airline. Um, they're trying to do the best. Well, well done, Nev. As always, sterling work. Mm. Yes, it was good, wasn't it? And, um, yes, good... Uh Good chat with Barbara there, and uh, yeah, interesting to hear how nice uh, Jet Two is, isn't it? A lot of uh, a lot of people have said good things about that airline. Yeah, you know, we we've ran stories in the past, you know, saying like Jet Two and how they've uh, they can be a bit uh, dubious sometimes with some of the stories that we've we've had in the past. But do you know, what? they've they've actually, I think, in the last kind of year. They are becoming quite a uh, a force within the UK now. I think they've, especially for the mm. um, for the package holiday segment, and they're obviously running the the adverts on 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 the TV. One of which I think Tony S said in the uh, chat room just while we we're doing the segment there uh, about the uh, Jess Glynn uh, song running for three hours. But <laughs> uh, no, I, I you know hand, hands up, I I. I I'd definitely, um, you know, give them a try. See what the uh, oh. see what the service is like. I know they do have quite an. Uh, some of their fleet is um, um, is 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 old. Seventy seven yeah. three hundred, I think. In yeah, some cases. <laughs> exactly. Um, but they they do actually Nev. They have um, they have one of the seven five sevens. I think they've got a few of those in their oh. fleet as well, which uh, is always a pleasure to uh, to fly on. But um, yeah, so. Uh, coming up next, then, we have got uh, some military news. So if you're ready, Nev. I am. Yes, always up for a bit of grey. Oh, yes. Let's go. So some military news in this week. We've got a few stories. First one is on the Royal Air Force's website. And uh, the headline, RF Voyager refuels F-35B for the first time in the UK. So the Royal Air Force's Voyager air-to-air refueling tanker has completed the first UK refuel of the F-35B Lightning II jets. The refueling took place on the 16th of October 2018 over the North Sea at 19,000 feet. The Voyager, based at RF Bryce Norton, home of the Royal Air Force's air mobility fleet, is no stranger to refueling fast jets, being the Royal Air Force's sole AAR capability. The Voyager KC Mark II is equipped with two underwing pods for refueling fast jets, and the Voyager KC Mark III has an additional centerline hose for use by larger aircraft. And uh, the F-35 Lightning B-2 is the Royal Air Force's newest combat aircraft, operated by 617 Squadron, based at uh, RAF Marham in Norfolk. Wee, Norfolk. Uh, this uh, multi-role aircraft can conduct missions including air-to-air surface, electronic warfare, intelligence gathering and air-to-air simultaneously. 
and uh, it's safe to say that uh, we've at least these aircraft now are in the UK. They're starting to prove themselves. We've obviously seen the uh, the the um, various um, pictures and stuff on local news. I think we had some on our Anglia news here in, in uh, on the east east coast of the UK of uh, of these jets in action here in the UK and. Um, being up and close to one of these as well a few years back at um, Riyadh, that was uh, pretty awesome. You, you know, we're not massive grey uh, fan people here, are we, Nev? But we do uh, we do love to see uh, these aircraft oh, up yeah. close oh, and personal. Pretty much so. Yeah, definitely. And uh, no, sounds good, isn't it? Things, things are moving on there, which is yeah. uh, good, stuff. good stuff. So next story, Nev. Yeah, it's on the uh, thedrive.com website, and it says that uh, the US Air Force frantically stole parts from one RC-135 to get another airborne to spy on a missile launch. Ooh. It's no secret that the US's uh, Air Force aging but vital RC-135 spy planes have been breaking down at an increasingly worrisome rate for years now, forcing the cancellations of important missions. Now information from a declassified official unit history provides an especially clear example of how these problems can have cascading impacts on operational readiness and put the US's uh, military's ability to gather critical intelligence at risk when it matters most. In 2016, one of the Air Force's three uh, RC-135S Cobra Ball aircraft suffered an unspecified maintenance issue whilst being to RAF Mildenhall. Uh, this would have rendered it uh, unable to perform its scheduled mission, which was to collect information on the launch of an unknown, unknown ballistic missile system. The Cobra Ball aircraft have specified equipment to track these types of weapons and gather telemetry and other electronic intelligence data, as well as visual imagery on them and their test flight operations. The required part would have not have arrived at RAF Mildenhall, before the predicted missile launch window, the 2016 history for the 25th Air Force, the Air Force's top intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance unit explained. If the new part could be found by cannibalizing another RC-135 or KC-135 air refueling aircraft, then the mission could proceed. We at the War Zone obtained this document via the Freedom of Information Act. Sensors redacted the exact date of the incident, the targets of the RC-135S's mission, and what intelligence the crew was ultimately able to collect. We do not know, what we don't know, is that the Cobra Ball was able to fly its mission in the end, thanks to some quick thinking on the part of the US Air Force Technical Sergeant Michael Smith, a liaison from the 25th uh, Air Force's Logistics Division. He was the one who, uh, who the history credits with suggesting that the maintenance crews take the necessary part from another C-135-based aircraft to get the RC-135S flying again. Well, yes, I'm sure, but that probably happens all the time, doesn't it? You cannibalise bits off of one aircraft to stick it onto another one if it's unserviceable. Um, so that's probably a massive oversimplification, I realise, but uh, that's the sort of thing that engineering departments do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's this aircraft, don't forget as well, was was um, based on the uh, 707, if you remember, uh, Nev, yeah. and uh, obviously been re-engined and had a had a bit of a change to its uh, its wings. I think it was strengthened and, and had various bits and pieces put on, added on to it, but... It, although they are, they are obviously using bits and pieces off other aircraft to keep these going, you know, to, to the fact that these aircraft are 
are, are getting on a bit now and still flying. Um, yeah. It does prove a point, though, that they, they are, mm. you know, incredibly good aircraft at what they do. Oh, exactly, yeah. So next story is on the uh, Flight Global's website, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a sad story. It's uh, regarding the F-16 Thunderbird investigation of the fatal crash, and the, uh, the crash uh, investigation has been released by the U.S. Air Force, and um, the U.S. Air Force concluded in an accident investigation report that a fatal Lockheed Martin F-16 CM Thunderbird crash on the 4th of April was a result of uh, the pilot suffering loss of consciousness caused by an 8.56G manoeuvre. The mishap took place during practice of the high show version of the Thunderbird's aerial demonstration on the south part of Nevada Test and Training Range near Creech Air Force Base Nevada, or Creech Air Force Base Nevada. And uh, Major Stephen Del Bagno, a former F-35A pilot, died in the crash. Prior to loss of consciousness and near the secluded or scheduled end, I should say, of the uh, aerial demonstration training flight, the pilot spent approximately 22 seconds inverted flight between 5,500 and 5,700 feet above the level ground during the high bomb burst rejoin maneuver. After trans uh, transitioning into a descending half-loop maneuver, also called a high uh, called a split S, the pilot experienced a gravity-induced loss of consciousness, became completely incapacitated for a period of time, and was fatally injured on impact with the ground um, without an ejection attempt. Lockheed Martin's Airborne Collision Avoidance System uh, Auto GCAS is supposed to prevent aircraft crashes caused by a pilot's loss of consciousness by automatically overriding the flight controls and steering the aircraft away from the ground. Lockheed Martin's Airborne Collision Avoidance System uh, is supposed to prevent the crashes um, caused by pilots' uh, loss of con uh, consciousness. Uh, however, the software was not uploaded uh, onto the F-16 Thunderbird that crashed in April. Auto GCAS has successfully saved several F-16 pilots' lives. However, it's not currently installed in F-16 Block 52s flown by the Thunderbirds, said the USAF. The Air Force will be installing this upgrade in all its Thunderbird jets in November 2018, following the completion of the current season. Lockheed Martin did not immediately respond to a, qu a request for uh, comment. That's, I'll tell you what, Nev, for the sake of a piece of mm. software... That's um, a real shame. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And that's all. I mean, everything is all, all software-driven and firmware-driven these days, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. Yep. It's such a yep. shame. So, Nev, what have we got coming up next? Oh, yes, next. Uh, some more excellent video feedback from uh, Ray Davis. Uh, he's been at the Warbirds Down Under show in Timora in Australia, uh, and he was there last week, I believe. So let's uh, hear his latest report. G'day listeners, it's Ray from Down Under again. Uh, it's currently day two here at Tamora, Warbirds Down Under. The time is currently 20 past nine in the morning, and as you can see around me, there's a lot of people. Uh, so yeah, we've got quite a bit. As you can see behind me, we've got the C-130J Hercules. Just this green monstrosity behind us is the old Caribou that's now been replaced by the C27 Spartan. And uh, so, yeah, there's quite a few modern uh, planes here. 
as well as the old venerable warbirds. So behind me in the distance, you'll see that there's a an old Ryan um, monoplane, followed by the Tiger Moth, as everyone knows. And right behind me now, for good old main man Micah, is the Catalina. And yes, folks, it does fly, and it does actually go on the water as well. So, as you can see, we've got quite a lot happening here today. Um, unfortunately, the, the weather uh, hasn't been too crash hot. Uh, the wind has done no benefits to us whatsoever, but we've still had some flying yesterday, unfortunately, due to phone reception and so forth. Uh, I could only managed to send videos so hopefully the boys back there will uh, play them out again and uh, yeah so from Tamora New South Wales Australia this is your reporter for PT UK signing off take care catch you on the flip side you know, it's safe to say now, but it's nice to see that not only us here in the UK have a bit of cloudy and uh, windy weather mm. during our shows. But uh, that was great, Ray. Thanks for sending that over to us. It was uh, it was nice to see what uh, thing how things are done over in Australia. Nev, I think we need to um, win the lottery and uh, go to all these air shows over. Okay, across, it, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But so no, thank you, Ray. Uh, once again, brilliant job, sir. Keep them coming. That's uh, fantastic. Very good. So, Nev, we've got something very special coming up next. We have. And uh, when Al was uh, with us at Farnborough, he said, oh, Nev, can I borrow a microphone recorder from you so I can do some stuff at Oshkosh? And I thought, oh, no, Oops. you know, what are we going to come back with now? But I needn't have worried because uh, he has come back with some cracking interviews. And uh, it's another one. Uh, this time he was speaking to Mikey McBrien. Who some of you may have seen as he was part of the um, pilot's television documentary series that portrays Buffalo Airways, which is an airline based in Yellowknife in the North Northwest Territories in Canada. And um, it's some really interesting stuff and uh, some nice pictures to go with it as well. So uh, let's go over to Captain Al. So it's Captain Al at Oshkosh once again, and I'm joined by Aviation Royalty. It's Mikey McBrien. How are you doing? Oh, Al, thanks for having me on here. It's quite the quite the awesome thing here. I know you can't really get it on the on the the voice waves where we're we're literally underneath the wing of a B-29, an A-10 Warthog, and uh, some big UPS jet. Was was that an MD-11? Spot on. But I'm not an expert. But yep, that's an MD-11. You're quite right. I wish we had those up in Canada. We painted green, and a uh, whole lot of popping chips. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, how many times have you been to Oshkosh now? Well, I've only been to Oshkosh twice, and the first time was on an episode of Ice Pilots, uh, and it was amazing, and actually, it, it felt like it was like last year. It was only until I looked at it that I realized that was 2010, we're in 2018, I did the math, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's weird, because in Yellowknife, this is actually our busy time, firefighting, and uh, the cargo is going nuts, because the ice roads are all melted, but on the, on, on the flip side is that, um, it's a lot of people and uh, in, ter in the Northwest Territories it's 40,000 people twice the size of Texas so there's literally more people in my in my vision right now than there is in my whole territory so it's a little over overwhelming 
It is. I mean, it's my first visit to Oshkosh. I've been to a, a few air shows, and I think the word awesome is, is overused, but I think in the context of Oshkosh, awesome is the word. Oh, everything's here. It's just amazing. Um, like, what was that? Like, something just flew over, and you don't even have time. There's a Bell 47 behind you. Something's flying behind me. If you're an aviation nut, everything's here. And if it's not here, it's going to be here next year, so you better come next year. Absolutely. So uh, a little personal insight to me. I first became acquainted with the, the ice pilots uh, when I had a, a serious injury. So I was laid up at home. So I watched all episodes of all six series back to back. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Well, sorry, sorry to hear about you being uh, uh, injured, but it was good that, you know, we got some entertainment, you know, some Canadians trying to haul freight. <laughs> Who would ever thought that'd be entertaining? But <laughs> Well, I mean... Uh, after the, the first series, did it come as a surprise to you, the sort of worldwide interest in, a, well, if you don't mind me saying, a relatively small airline tucked away in a fairly quiet part of Canada? Yeah, you know what? Um, you know, like in your freezer, you, you got that, you know, that uh, microwave meal that you forgot in the very back? And that's what Buffalo Airways was. Like, there was DC-3 experts that had never heard of us, even though we've been flying DC-3s since the mid-70s. Um, so we were like aviation's best-kept secret. And then... TV comes along and now it's uh, you know it's a very niche a niche household name basically uh, and it's very cool we never ever thought it would get to anything above this like we're just from the north right and uh, it's pretty cool to walk around here and for people to stop stop you and, and you know from all over the US here to say how much they like the show and, and, and stories too it's it's weird how ice pilots really connects a lot of people to their own past their uncle or their father or you know, their granddad was in a DC-3 or any airplanes, they can kind of relate and kind of live vicariously through ice pilots, which was, which is an unattended benefit that was, was pretty cool. Absolutely. Now, obviously, there were the, the six series, and uh, for the outside world, outside of Canada, there was the, you know, well, what happens now? So what has happened to Buffalo Airways since the ending of the TV program? Because you know, like TV programs, sometimes people think, well, actually, was this real or was this just like a, a drama? But, it, it, you know, TV being TV, yeah, there's an element of drama, but it was just following your day-to-day -day stuff. So where are we now? So bring us up to date. Well, that's a very good question because there's – I get I get things like uh, from people talking about the show being 100% accurate, like there's music playing and fast editing in real life too. It was all staged. Like, I get – everything in between and the reality of the show was it was pretty pretty spot on and and spot on to the fact now is i watched the show those are the memories i have now they were they erased the real memories and my memories are on the show so moving forward um the big thing is we retired the dc force and the electras are now uh, doing the firefighting and all the freight hauling uh which is uh, really expanded on where we go because of the avgas situation Getting Avgas is virtually impossible north of Norman Wells. So that moving forward, another thing that's came out of nowhere is King Air 100s. The King Air 100 is the new DC-3 for us because we have five of them operating right now, and they're doing some crazy missions all over to the high Arctic, moving people around, judges, lawyers, anything you want. We're like a taxi. We're like Uber. We're like Northern Uber. You phone us up, 
and will take you king air anywhere. So that's still going. Uh, the CL215s have been retired officially. There's actually one here, a tanker 291. Arnie used to fly. Uh, they've been placed by the, the air tractor, 802 fire bosses. Brand new airplanes. They only got about 200 hours on them. Uh, and that's including the time they're flying right now. So we got the oldest and the newest airplanes in the Northwest Territories, probably even in Canada. And uh, so that, that's, that's kind of the, the up-to-date thing. Um, yeah, besides that, I just encourage everybody to come up to Yellowknife and see for yourself. Like, I always joke that, you know, you're used to the TV show, might as well come up and watch the live, like, you know, live uh, studio audience. You know, get a live well, track going. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Visit Canada were extremely grateful for you bringing the Northwest Territories to the, to the global audience. So you mentioned that you're operating brand new aircraft. That, that must be... A mindset change within within the airline because historically you've operated historic aircraft. Yeah, it's now warranty. <laughs> <laughs> we never had that before. You ever tried to call Douglas or Curtis? You need a Ouija board. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, we ask every guest on the show um, whether you're a pilot or not. So if you had the opportunity to be a pilot or a passenger on any airplane living or dead so in current production or one that's in museums or even in distance past what aircraft would you choose without i didn't even not a hesitation sr-71 blackbird without that would be the coolest thing in the world you get to wear a space suit and you get to go faster than anybody uh right there sr-71 blackbird i would trade everything i would trade everything for that it's uh, it's a really cool aeroplane. I have to say, it was the first model aeroplane that I ever owned, and it's a it's a very uh, commonly given answer to the question. Personally, for me, I, I go for Concorde because you can sip the champagne whilst being up in space level. Yeah, and it, it's you know it's error or not error correct. It's country correct for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'd just like to take this opportunity. To thank you very much for taking a few minutes out of your variable, valuable time here at Oshkosh. And uh, yeah, let's go buy some aeroplanes. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I got, I got my dad's checkbook, let's go. <laughs> Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening fly b5823 trent dane for two three hour manchester with air 6x climb flight level 210 direct to Bretman's park United 123, maintain 280 knots. Tandem 2DME, turn right onto Bravo, link. Do one join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC slash DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's
That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience, or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. I think it's safe to say, uh, Nev, that... Uh... Al totally excelled himself there. He smashed it, hasn't he? Absolutely. What a great interview that I was, know. Al. And thank, thanks ever so much for doing that. That was uh, very, very interesting indeed. A bit of an insight about um, the challenges of flying those sorts of aircraft in, in that part of the world. And we often complain, you know, here in you know the UK and, and Europe, oh, it's getting a bit cold today. But then you look at that part of the world. And did you see, I don't know if you saw the, 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 on the video there, the frostbite some of these guys were getting yeah, as well. It looked yeah. absolutely horrendous, didn't that? I absolutely loved that series. You know, um, I remember watching uh, pretty much every, every episode when it was on. I think it was on uh, Discovery when I used to watch it. And um, it was just, you know, some of the, you know, some of the, the action scenes and stuff and the stories and stuff they had engine failures and all various bits and stuff in that series and it, it was great and to sort of listen to al actually talking to mikey one of the you know one of the quite the sort of main characters on that series was was so cool well done al yeah brilliant and al was just saying in the chat room he's a, a genuinely nice fella and uh that, that definitely comes across doesn't it you know very much so yeah so, yeah so no, brilliant nice one al thank you yeah well done al so uh I suppose we better wrap up the show, I suppose, uh, Nev, haven't we? Yes. It's been, it's been um, It has. Uh, but but we, um, have got, we have got something to do first, though, haven't we? We have. We missed, uh, before we missed we it go, last week. We did. Um, and, of course, we couldn't do this show without your help, dear listeners. And um, so and that's what's contributed to our upgrade of the broadcast tower which has gone down very well. So here is a list of the current contributors to Plain Talking UK. They are Adam Spink, Adrian Meacham, Andrew, uh, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Eric Graves, Evan Shue, Graham Haley, Jeff Ward, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose, Liz Piper, Matt Caton, Matt Donemeyer, Matthew Buntingframe, Myla, Neil Lamborn, Nick Anderson, Nico Regger, Philip Labe, Ray Williams, Reuben Wells, Ryan Harper, Stuart Backer, Stephanie Plummer, Steve Andress, Stuart Black, York Moller, Tony Stubbings, Jennifer Parkinson, and Tom Thomas. Thank you, one and all. 
Yeah, thank you to everyone who uh, contributes to the show. Couldn't put the music on now. I'm sure you've all missed the music there, but uh, it didn't seem to work when I pressed the button, so there we go. But no, it's uh, a massive thanks to everyone who does donate to the show because it has obviously enabled us to um, to have the new tower, which is just, just below the table, below me here, through the studio table. But um, it's, uh, I've just been, I've been looking at it through, during the show. And um, yeah, 21% Nev. Mm. We're, uh, Matt will be pleased with that. Yeah, Matt Great will be place. pleased with that. But uh, no, we've got uh, social media links. Where can uh, everyone find us, uh, Nev? Uh, right, well, it's uh, on the website. It's plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And if you'd like to interact with us on Twitter, it's at plaintalkinguk. And don't forget, if you want to uh, run over to the website and click on, you can find yourself the links to grab yourself uh, one of the PTUK T-shirts as well from there. And uh, you can also click on the uh, the live button where you can find the show live each week. If In case you're uh, listening to the show with the audio downloads at the moment, you can click on mm, that. Yes. And that'll take you to where we're streaming the live show right now, so you can interact with the chat room. Because the chat room are a huge part of the show, aren't they, Nev? They um, yeah, certainly they keep us and entertained. I and we're going to have a few of our chat room chums uh, on a little bit of a meetup that we're having on Monday. What's happening the there, week. Nev? Tell everyone. Bit short, bit short notice, I know. But um, Philip Davis, Nick Anderson, myself, um, and who else is coming? Oh, Dave Willis and Pilot Pip are going to meet down by the Heathrow Academy, which is just on the perimeter ring road. And there's a bit of a spotting canopy there. Uh, so I'm going to be bringing my camera and my fluffy mic down there. I've even got a filming permit for Heathrow. You How have, yeah. Yes, um, because I just don't want to take any chances, frankly. Um, so we'll be doing some interviews down there, which will play out on next week's show. And if anyone is around, we'll be down there for most of the day. Philip Davis is going to be there from 6am, which is extremely keen. Uh, I'm, I'm not that keen, so I'll be there about 9. So. <laughs> Oh, I tell you, if I had the, if I had some holiday nev, I would have joined you on the day because that sounds like it's going to be a, uh, an awesome amount of fun had there. I hope so. I think the weather's going to be nice too, which is important. So, so that is uh, yeah. this coming Monday. Mm. Yeah, and uh, if they want to, uh, if they want to get there at six a.m., they can. If they can, but if well, they, good luck with that. Good luck. <laughs> but obviously, um, if uh, if you want to meet Nev, uh, you know, kind of uh, turn up at Randy sort of mid morning time, and Nev will be. Yes, yeah, so we're going to try and do a bit of lunch. Uh, there's a cafe nearby, so we're going to have some nosh there as well. So anyone that's around uh, will be very welcome to join us. And you can do obviously you're going to do some filming as well, Nev. You're going to have a chat with yeah. uh, some of the people down there, which will be fun. And um, yeah. we'll have that on a later show for everyone. Uh, to yep. see yeah exactly. can't wait for yeah. that so we're going to bring to a close uh, the show it's uh, it's been a bit strange not having matt here i will say i know <laughs> I mean... all, that, all that nice wheezy laughter and that that comedy you know but next week i have got uh, someone joining me in the studio armando's going to take a little trip over to see us next week oh, and he's going to uh, he's going to assist me in next week's show along with uh, with you hopefully nev on uh, friday for yep, being, be being well yeah. and uh, yeah so that is basically where we are going to draw, draw the show to a close so Matt if you are watching from the caravan uh, on your 
wi- the caravan Wi-Fi, <laughs> which is not very good. Uh, I mean, he did do quite well to begin with, didn't he? He just sort of <laughs> out at the end of it. Oh, poor Matt. I don't know. But uh, but join us for, uh, obviously, for episode 240 next week. A massive thanks to everyone again who's joined us in the live chat room tonight. All the family are in there, as always. I hope you have a great weekend, whatever you're doing across the globe. I'm sure you'll all be... Uh, Having the usual roast dinners on Sunday, which I'm looking forward to this week, because Gemma says mm. apparently we've got we've got roast chicken with with stuffing this week. Nice, so Love I'm it. looking forward to that. Yeah. So that's it then from me, Carlos, here in the PTUK studios, all alone. And uh, from Nev, we're going to say a big goodbye. So take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. Goodbye, okay, guys. See you. Bye bye. There we go. I can't believe it. I've done it.